I want to speak about the influence of love today. Okay, so how many know that um, when, when you want to change the world, when you want to bring something of value to the world, and you try to force it, it's going to go the opposite way. <laughs> okay. Love is the very essence of who God is. Love is, if you, if you take away the wood out of this podium, you will, there will be nothing left. Maybe a couple of screws. I don't know if they used screws in this, maybe, <laughs> maybe some glue. <laughs> but there won't be anything left if you take away the wood. If you take away the love, you don't have God anymore. So that's what he is. Okay? So you can't, you can't even begin to understand who God is if you don't understand love, if you don't know love, if you don't know how much he loves you. His influence in your heart will be limited. His power through your life will be limited. Because that's what it is. To deny love is to deny God himself. So if we, and, and this is something that can so easily happen in ministries. If we start to get focused on the practical things, and we start to build the organization or the building and such, with a focus on that, with a focus on getting this done or that done, and people start becoming resources instead of the beloved of God, then we've got problems. Because the building has to serve the vision, the organization, I mean, teams, all those things, all these groups, everything, everyone doing anything in a service during the week, if that doesn't serve God's heart, God's vision, God's purpose, then we might as well stop everything. Then we might as well not come together. If what is here isn't going to bring God's heart over to someone, then why do we have cameras? Why do we broadcast? Why do we have Nico the Octopus there at the back doing everything at once? <laughs> he worked tirelessly this week, by the way, to just get the sound for the stream right because we got some cable issue. I don't know what it was. But, so, but um, he pulled a rabbit out of a hat and uh, hopefully everyone online can hear. Okay, so... When the love of God um, isn't the main thing, then why do we get together? Um, the writer of Hebrews, whoever that is, I think it may be Paul, I don't know. But the writer to the Hebrews wrote, Do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Why? Because we are not called to be heroes on our own. You know, I'm going to reach the world for Jesus. There you run. We function as a body. The cement that holds us, the glue that holds us together is love. Which means, if God calls someone and, and puts someone in position 
to lead at a certain place, it means the motive must be love. Because if the motive isn't love, the influence won't be love. And if the influence isn't love, we're going in the opposite direction <laughs> of where we're supposed to be going in the first place. Okay? So, it's not about succeeding at this or that. It's not about looking successful. Yes, I believe in excellence. Yes, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Good. It's all good. But succeeding at what? Succeeding at building the best building? Well, then we're far behind anyway because there's people building amazing things. <laughs> okay? But succeeding at what? Are we, are we here to, to just get people in line? There's organizations that have, that have been doing that. But what are we here for? Why do we, why does this ministry even exist? Why, what are we doing here? Is it not in essence to bring the love of Christ that he manifested on the cross to more and more hearts? Is the whole point of everything not to let that love influence our lives? So that love needs to be the fuel for everything we do, for everything we say. That love is a love that wants to reach someone for their benefit with something so wonderful that we definitely know will lift them up. Okay, even if they fight us. So, it's almost like a chocolate merchant, you know, but <laughs> you believe in your product, but... <laughs> <laughs> like someone told me recently, you know, you can't keep everybody happy. You're not chocolate. <laughs> but just think of this. I mean, Jesus is love in the flesh, and he couldn't keep everyone happy. So that's not, that's not, that's not a good strategy. But our hearts, firstly, need to be connected to him, to his love. So the world's way of doing things is I've got a better idea do what I say and then you'll see later on what I mean and that kind of thing gets people elected in elections that you know I've got the, this great promise but they never deliver on anything that they ever say <laughs> but next week they make more promises and five years later they make more promises and the more de desperate they get, the more rosy their promises become. <laughs> okay? So, but Jesus does things differently. He, he just does it. He just comes to people and heals them. He just, he just moves and he shows his love. He didn't first have a campaign to rally everyone's you know, to get everyone hyped up. He, no, he just came and he died on the cross. Everyone rejected him. But he laid down his life for the very people that crucified him. So, so that the love that he carried in his heart for them would set them free. Now, just look at this picture of Jesus on the cross. 
He, he didn't say anything back. When he was falsely accused, he kept silent. Like Isaiah said, like a sheep before her shearers are dung. So he opened not his mouth. False accusations. Okay? Didn't say anything. Because he was moved by this love. He knew this has, had to happen. He had to um, falsely be accused to lay down his life for the people who were really guilty. So that was his goal. His goal was to get falsely accused. His goal was to take the sin of everyone, all the accusations, all the guilt of everything, everyone, upon himself because he knew he was the only one that could take it. His goal was to lay down his life. His goal was to take it up again. So even on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he had that insight throughout the whole process. I mean, think of what you're going through. I don't think it's a, any comparison to what Jesus went through on the cross. And he went through it voluntarily, fully knowing what he was going to go through, and fully knowing that he's doing it for people who don't deserve it, and who deserve what he's going to go through. <laughs> that's, that's his love. That's who he is. That was his motivation to take everything that would accuse us, everything that was accursed, all sickness, all poverty, all angst, all depression, all, if anything is unpleasant, he took it upon himself. The thief comes only for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life. So the thief, I've said this so many times, the thief was defined. He said, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers. So that means everyone preaching the covenant, everyone preaching the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. The thief had to come first because the thief was designed to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief was the law, and the law was there to punish sin. And if the law did not come to punish sin with the, with the intent to kill, with the intent to destroy, Jesus could never take what the law said, all the wrath of the law upon himself. And in doing so, uh, ending it and revealing the fullness of God's love through it. So it had to come for a time. But he never expected humanity to fulfill it. It was a killing machine. And he said, okay, let it come on me. And he took all of that destruction, all of the wrath, everything described in the law. Is the law holy? Yes. Is the law just? Yes. Is the law good? Yes. Can a human being obey the law? No. It's like pouring petrol on the fire. Thou shalt not think of a purple donkey, and everyone thinks of a purple donkey. Yeah. So the more you say what you're not supposed to do, you more think of the stuff that you're not supposed to do, and the more you are tempted to do the stuff that you're not supposed to do, and the more you end up doing the stuff <laughs> that you're not supposed to do. Yeah. 
It's, it's a trap. Jesus never sinned. Just think of that. He had all the temptations we had without sin. That's extraordinary. And he just kept quiet. He came with a purpose. He knew how to give his life. His father sent him. He learned obedience through suffering. He just kept quiet. And they took the law, the weapon, and they laid all these accusations on him. Because they hated him because he was the light. They hated him because they could not control him. They hated him because they could not do what he could do. <laughs> so that was how it was designed. The law blinded their eyes so they could not see. But even after they killed him, even after he expressed his forgiveness for the very ones putting the nails in his hands and in his feet, even after that, with the after the resurrection, he, he sent them, go preach. To the Jew first, also the Greeks. To those who rejected me first, because they had to be blinded so that I could be crucified. They had to be blinded so I could, they, they had to be deceived thinking I was wrong so that I could take all their sins upon me. But now that's finished. Now go preach to them the forgiveness of sins. Go preach to them the good news of the gospel. Right, so unfortunately they didn't accept that either. But it, it did go out to the Gentiles, and it's still available for all. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter who. But when we can actually recognize the love, when we can really see His love, our hearts can open up and we can receive it. People are so used to getting demands, expectations, another rule, another key, or 12, or 15, or 60 keys to this, or another 10 steps. Can't even do last week's 10 steps. Three weeks ago, there was 12 steps. I can't even remember it, never mind do it. But steps in, okay, I get it, it's a way of preaching, it's a way of presenting, it's fine. I know the content differs, <laughs> keys and steps to this or that, but when will, we, when will we just see his heart for who he is? When will we recognize the face of Jesus in the preaching? When will Jesus be revealed so that we can see him? Okay? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, I want to know nothing among you. I want to make a display of the knowledge of nothing among you. 
I want to be conscious of you, uh, of nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay? So that moment in time, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that is the display of the love of Jesus. That is the demonstration of His character. So, you know this all very well. John 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen the Father. But Jesus has come to reveal Him. You with me? Okay. Let's just run through a few things because otherwise I'm just going to jump here and there and I'm going to lose you. So, that's John 1 verse 18. Now Colossians chapter 1 says the following. Verse. Let's start in verse 13. It's just too good. I can't read, not read this. Verse 12. Should we go one back? <laughs> Verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified and made us fit to share the portion which is the inheritance of the saints in the light. Yeah, that's really rich. Okay, Verse 13. The Father has delivered and drawn us to Himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. There's, there's the basis of authority. He's drawn us out of dominion, things being forced on you by law. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So the kingdom, the whole basis of kingdom is the influence of His love. His love heals. His love opens blind eyes. His love sets free people from demonic activity. His love, he, whatever is the problem. But even if there's no problem, the, the state of humanity without God is darkness compared to the light of who He is. We are so far removed from what we can have in Him that we, that we don't even miss it. The glory of His presence is so much. The intensity of the light shining from His face is so great. We have become accustomed to having a little bit better than we used to have and being content with that. In this regard, I will never tell you, be content with where you are. <laughs> be content in Him. But there's so much more in Him that He has freely given to us. But what unlocks all of it? So here's a key. <laughs> what reveals Him is the cross of Jesus, is, is the love that He displayed at the cross. Okay, so if we can recognize His love, 
we can walk into a life filled with light, filled with glory, filled with power, filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with, you know, everything that the word can promise. Okay. He says, verse 14, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, which means the forgiveness of our sins. That's a series on its own. Forgiveness is something that we have through the blood, which is something flowing out of his love. Verse 15, he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. The visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. For it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created and exist through him, by his service and intervention, and in him and for him. And he himself existed before all things, and in him all things consist. He also is the head of his body, the church. So imagine being one with him who created everything. Okay. When you see Jesus, people see someone, you know, who's meek and gentle, and they see him as weak, they see him as a target. So they see him walking, and... Pharisees are constantly trying to get him out of the way because, I don't know, they, he's got some followers. We've got to control it. They don't like it. He can do things we can't do, so we've got to stop it. We've got to control it. We've got to do something. And in, <clears throat> in doing so, they demonstrate how opposite their characters are from him. So Jesus said it in John chapter 8. He says, um, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> and you do the lusts of your father. Your father was a murderer from the beginning and a liar from the beginning. And he's the father of lies. So, so here's Jesus pointing out. He says, you seek to kill me. That is the works of your father. Just showing what they are demonstrating out of their lives. So the spirit in which they are operating. So just because something is done in the name of God doesn't make it God. I mean, they were, that darkness completely hijacked God's covenant. The system that was there was completely fabricated by man. The whole thing of synagogues, God never instituted it. There's no, there's no reference in scripture that God ever instituted the synagogue. But when they came back from Babylonia, they took their form of worship and they brought it back. So many things were brought back to Jerusalem after Babylonia because they wanted to be like Babylon. So the whole system was completely different than what, what the Word of God and what the, the law actually said. So here comes Jesus and showing the true real thing. So no one has seen he, the Father. The Father is invisible. But when they saw Jesus, they saw the exact likeness, the visible representation. It says this, the same thing in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. 
in many separation, uh, separate revelations, not separations, in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a different portion of the truth, and in different ways, God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But in the last of these days, He has spoken to us in the person of a son, whom He appointed heir and lawful owner of all things. So everything on earth belongs to Him. He wasn't threatened by the Pharisees because he, he owned everything. I mean, it's, yeah. Also by and through whom he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time, he made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. He is the sole expression. So there's nothing, not another expression. The sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying or the radiance of the divine, and He is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. So what is God's nature? It's love. Upholding, maintaining, guiding, and propelling the universe by His mighty word of power, when He had by offering Himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. So that was his aim. This was the one thing that love wanted to accomplish on this earth. Is to accomplish our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt at that cross. And the only way to do that was for him to humble himself and lay down his life to be obedient unto death, to go lay it down, take back his life again, so that he could set us free from sin and death. Romans 5, verse 5 says, The hope does not shame because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Okay, so that same love has now been shed abroad into the hearts of every person who has the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the very essence of who God is, all the power with which He created the heavens and the earth, all the power that moved Him to the cross to conquer sin and death, all of that is on the inside of you. The love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Free gift. Okay, so Romans 5, 17. I'm going to go on with from verse 5. But Romans 5, 17 says, through the death of one or through the... the Sin of one, many were constituted sinners. No, if no, let me get it, get it right. Can I get to Romans 5 17? Yeah, if because of one man's stress, part death reigned. Yeah, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign as kings in life. Okay, so free gift, the Holy Spirit, free gift, the righteousness free gift. That righteousness of God is the Holy Spirit shedding abroad the love of God in our hearts. So the righteousness of God is simply this. Love 
taking control of you. But love is not from the dominion side. So love will influence your heart until you are fully yielded. So you need to receive the love until you are fully surrendered. And then His righteousness will be fully expressed through you. So yes, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God. All the sermons. Okay, good. Is it true? Yes. But Hebrews chapter 12 says, don't despise the correction of the Lord. For it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So is that righteousness bearing fruit? So what is the righteousness? It's the love of God in our hearts. What's the righteousness? It's the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Do we have the fruit of, the, of love? Okay? The fruit of the light, says Ephesians. Uh, the fruit of the love, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not only those things listed, but that's a very good list. Love. Joy. But a lot of the church thinks, no, 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 seriousness, seriousness, seriousness. Hmm. Seriousness and you must obey me. No, 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 that's not what it says. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh my goodness. Kindness. I don't want to even say patience out loud because, you know. Kindness. Jesus said in, in Matthew 11, learn from me, I am meek and gentle of heart. Jesus was kind. He's still kind. But when he walked on the earth, what, what, what did he demonstrate? Kindness. Temperance. So he had control of his body. He had control of his anger and his emotions. and You know, he did speak to a tree. So imagine if Jesus flipped out and started saying things, you know, the whole world would explode. So <laughs> with that kind of power, you know, it's good if he's meek and gentle and kind and loving and then he says the right stuff and everyone gets saved. <laughs> imagine Jesus had a fit of rage and he started saying stuff. The creator of the world is now angry. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> okay, but just think of this. Who he is has now been implanted into you by the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 5 and 6, he says, let's read it without, before I quote it wrong again. He says, while we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time, Christ died for the ungodly. If we just look at that, the only contribution I could make in verse 6 to anything is just being ungodly. <laughs> Check. Okay? So, I qualified for salvation. 
<laughs> what qualifies you before God? Does it qualify you before God to, I don't know, have a special talent or to have, you know, to be likable or to, you know, at least I work hard or whatever. You know, people have these things. No, what qualifies you is His love for you. What qualified you for being um, someone that He would pay the price for? His love for the ungodly. At the fitting time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, if you want to disqualify yourself, listen. The thing that you're focused on, that you think disqualifies you, does not even start to register on the scale of wickedness of what you really are. Let me just say it plainly. You're much worse than you think. <laughs> so if you want that specific thing that's bothering your conscience right now to disqualify you, there's a whole host of more things. But that's not what disqualifies you. The only thing that disqualifies humanity is unbelief in Jesus. The only thing. But what qualified us in the first place to be objects of His love, objects of His salvation? It's Him, His love for us. There's nothing in us that could make God, you know, that could force Him to do it because we did something good. Not, not one thing. So the, the fact that the whole earth hasn't been consumed in a big ball of fire is mercy. <laughs> so what did he do instead? He came to earth in a human body, that's humility, for the God of glory to take on human flesh. And then he took on all the ridicule of people. Then he took all the abuse of people, all the while healing the sick, forgiving people. Every time he healed the sick, yeah, you should have done it on another day and not on the Sabbath. Every time he forgave someone, what is, who gives you, gives you the right to forgive sins? So, um, at the fitting time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, yes, if you want to go into a pity party of all the stuff that you've done wrong, you're right. But God's work is so much greater. I, sp I spoke to someone the other day who struggled to believe that God could forgive him for what he has done. Let's just listen what you have done. Imagine what you have done is put on the one scale and the other scale is the cross and everything that Jesus has done and said. What do you think will weigh more? The work of Jesus on the cross for you to pay the price for your sins or the whatever you've been funging on?
If you don't understand Afrikaans, don't worry. Okay. All the stuff that you've done. All the sin of all people of all time combined is like a drop in the ocean of God's love. If you think anything that you've done can disqualify God from doing something, then I have good news for you. It can't. While you were an enemy of God, He laid down His life for you. He did everything for you. Okay, listen to this verse, verse 7. This always gets me. Now, it's an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man. You know, think of Napoleon and the people that would just die for him. Okay. Short, though, upright, you know, I don't know. Though perhaps for a noble, lovable, generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. So people would lay down their life for their supreme ruler or, the, or the whatever ruler, you know. Look at the communists and so on. Okay. So people would lay down their life for someone that they think is wonderful. The pictures are all taken from below, you know, and statues. And, okay. So, but God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for this sorry bunch of humans <laughs> who couldn't do anything right. Okay? Would you, just put yourself in that position. Would you lay down your life for the, the worst, peop, worst person you can think of? Oof. Okay, let me bring color in the picture. Think of your least favorite politician, okay? Would you lay down your life for that politician? <laughs> <laughs> my answer is no <laughs> but Christ yes he already has I would just say yeah but Christ already has which means this person that everyone wants to judge in on social media this person that everyone wants to judge that's on the news, you know, making comments and things, you know, this leader, that leader, it's very easy to judge people who are well-known. He should have done this, he should, yeah, you should have done a lot of things. But Jesus has died for all of them. Okay, so then if we just bring it a bit closer to home, in your life there may have been leaders that have um, not operated on God's way of leading people, that may have brought some bondage or may have hurt you. You know, everyone, uh, not everyone, but many people get hurt in church. It's a common thing that you hear these days. Okay. So is God now the faults of people? But just think of that person. God's love says we have something to bring to the world. And our heart is to love people 
into wholeness. Our heart is to bring something even to the actual people that hurt us. The reaction that people have in their hearts after they had been hurt or after they had been wronged is the person who wronged me or the person who hurt me must heal me. And people get stuck on that one point. And then people, you know, someone did something 20 years ago and now you still walk in that, in the consequences of that because your mind is stuck. That person has done me wrong. Okay? Hasn't Jesus done something right? Hasn't he conquered it? Have he not, has, he, has he not made a change? You know? And yes, the things that people go through, I mean, it's dramatic, it's horrible, it's, it's... But it's for those people also that Jesus laid down his life. Okay, so for the most wicked of, of, of all the people, he laid down his life, he paid the full price. Okay? So, our job... Yes, we can see, okay, there is certain things, how things should not be done and so on, but the question is not how everyone else is doing it. The question is what is God leading us into? How are we going to do it here? How, how is Jesus revealing himself to us here? Other people, let them, whatever. When we see them, hopefully the love of God will shine to them and bring a revelation of Jesus Christ. When we recognize that Jesus does things differently, it does not warrant us pointing a finger at those who did it in a different way. But that same love is now in us. And God has called us to bring this love to the world. So whoever you can see in this world is someone that needs to hear of his love, of his cross. So every person that has ever wronged you, the, the Bible is full of it. We need to forgive. Because love and forgiveness go together like this. If I hold the grudge, what I essentially do when I hold a grudge is I deny the love of God expression in my life. And I receive the ministry of the person who did something wrong to me. So if someone is, is doing harm to people, that influence brings hurt to me. If I hold the grudge, I hold on to that influence, and I become it. But if someone hold, does something wrong to me, and I'm open for the influence of his love, I'm open for his love to come and do something in my heart, I receive restitution from Jesus. I receive healing from Jesus. I receive all the brokenness is fixed by Jesus because I receive from Jesus. Okay? I don't hold on to the grudge. I let it go, forgive them, so there's no more influence. If someone has hurt you, forgive them. So that the next time you see them, you can bring love to them. Okay? So we are not called to, to be judges. 
Jesus was appointed by the Father to judge. But 1 John 2 also says Jesus is our advocate with the Father. We know Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. So he's in every step of this, this thing. I mean, he speaks on our behalf. So the accuser is silenced. All the accusations is taken out of the way because he's already served the sentence. It's already, the sentence for what you've been accused for is already served. So he just comes and says, no, it's already done. Don't worry. This case, this case is already finished. There's no need to focus on this. I already served the sentence. He's the judge. He's the advocate. He's the high priest. It doesn't matter which way you look at it. He wants to make sure that you and everyone else gets what he paid for on the cross. So Jesus, the word says that he will repay. Leave it to him. Okay? Leave it to him. But for us, to us he said, just go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell every person of this love. So let this love influence your heart. Let this love move you. Okay? Preach the gospel to every creature. And these signs will follow them that believe. So if you are under the influence of this love, this love is so powerful, it will raise the dead. It will open the blind eyes. It will cure the sick. It will open the deaf ears. The lame will walk. Jesus looks to the world with a completely different perspective. So, in our lives, this one thing is of vital importance, to have our hearts open to His love for us. 1 John 4 verse 16, we know and believe the love God cherishes for us, for us, for us, for us. God is love. Those who dwell in love dwells in God and God dwells in them. Okay? By this, the love of God is brought to completion and attains perfection with us. As He is, you know, and we have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. So it doesn't matter what judgment comes. It doesn't matter what accusation comes. His love is brought to completion because we know and believe the love that He has for us. Perfect love casts out all fear. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. So he who is afraid has not grown into the full maturity of love. So what brings that fear? Judgment, the dominion, the way darkness operates. What removes it is the influence, the kingdom of the son of the love removes the fear and it brings light it brings life it brings health okay
Okay, so I'm just going to read one more verse, then we're done. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> okay. In this the love of God was made manifest. First John 4 verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest where we are concerned. In that God sent His Son, the only begotten or unique Son, into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loves you. And if our hearts are open to that love, that love will transform our lives and the lives of everyone around us. And that's how Jesus leads the world. Is there are those whose hearts are open to his love. He loves, he has sacrificial love. And where that love is received, the fruit comes. And if the fruit comes, if when, you, when, when you see it, I mean, what is there that we don't want to do for him? So obedience to him is based on love and not on the fear of punishment. Okay. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you that you are so good. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Jesus, I pray, let every person have a new revelation of your love, a new revelation of your goodness. Lord, let your love just flow out of us everywhere we go. In Jesus' name. Amen.